0: Hey, it's Mary Knox Miller. Welcome back to Speaking Human First. Can I ask you a question? When I say solar panels, what comes to mind? Panels on top of your roof or perhaps office buildings? Well, Laura Zapata is thinking even bigger and outside the box. Laura is not an environmental scientist or climatologist. No, she's a former Capitol Hill intern turned Uber manager Turned political campaign director who said, you know what? No one who looks or thinks like me is on the forefront of conversations about renewable energy. So I'm going to put myself there. Laura co-founded and currently serves as CEO of Clearloop, a company that helps small and mid-sized businesses offset their carbon footprint by investing in solar farms in places like Jackson, Tennessee, Panola County, Mississippi, and North Louisiana. Not only does Laura want to increase access to clean energy, she wants to empower communities who often bear the brunt of fossil fuel emissions to become part of the solution. The trick, of course, is to appeal to multiple types of investors — nationwide businesses, local utility companies and governments, and of course, communities where solar farms are installed. Laura is learning that what she says and how she says it is often the difference between success and failure. Let's dive in. Laura, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me about the environmental space that you are in, the passion that you have for improving not only our environment, but also access to clean energy. I am so excited to delve in. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to have this conversation. Wonderful. All right. So there is a lot of information out there when it comes to climate change. There's also a lot of information about all the options that are out there, all the things that people can do to feel like they are playing a part and playing a role in helping us improve our environment. You have had a very illustrious career across multiple disciplines, and at the moment, you've landed on co-founding and being the CEO of an organization called Clearloop. If you could, please describe for me how you see the current status of the environment that we are living in right now and why Clearloop was a solution for you.
1: Yeah. That's a great question. Okay. So big picture, just kind of taking it from the very kind of bare bones is we have this climate issue and we have too many greenhouse gases that are being emitted. We have different parts of our economy that are driving that activity that are leading to these wild climate patterns that we're seeing. One of the biggest opportunities we had was sort of two big things that the carbon footprint in the United States is driven by. One is transportation. So when we drive our cars, and you know, trains and all, all the things. And then two is electricity. So every time we turn on our lights or do any sort of electrical thing, uh, there is, there is you know, more of these greenhouse gases that are being created. And that is because we make electricity from primarily fossil fuel sources, whether that's coal or natural gas. So Clearloop, what we are focused on is trying to decarbonize the grid at scale, getting companies that want to tackle their carbon footprint and focusing their investment in bringing brand new solar projects to life. So the way we do that is basically we take their carbon footprint and we use that same equivalent amount of carbon footprint and basically build a solar project that will tackle that same amount. So it, it, it's an offset. It's a way for us to bring more clean energy generation online in the parts of the country where it's not happening. And the impetus for this was really trying to figure out how do we connect the dots between you know, commitments um, and action and and really having it come to life in communities um, where maybe climate action is not the, the thing that everybody's talking about, but clean energy infrastructure um, and economic development is really a key part of any community's lifeblood. And so for us, it was it was a, a venture to say you can make good business by doing good. And that's what Clear Loop
0: is trying to stand for. Fantastic. So. I love where you're going because that's where I wanted to go next. Clearloop just isn't a company that simply is helping with carbon offsets and building solar panels wherever it might be. But it goes even further than that. There is this underlying, which you've already just alluded to, But there is this sense of equity in your mind. There's this driver of making sure that everybody can have access because it's wonderful when large corporations build solar panels or green roofs, you know, right where they are in their building. But I think I read 65, maybe 70% of a company's offsets have nothing to do with their physical location. It has to do with all the other things involved in that business. So... There's really two questions there. <laughs> There's really helping us understand why your solution needs to exist in terms of a solution for a company. And two, why you've established and created Loop in a way that's very intentionally focused on equity and access to clean energy and underserved communities. Yes, it's so much to
1: unpack with Clearloop. But on one hand, when we started Clearloop, we looked at the world and said, okay, companies have, you know, a few choices when it comes to their carbon footprint. They always have the choice and should always, number one priority should be to reduce their emissions, their direct emissions, however they can, right? What we found, though, is that most companies, the majority of the companies across the world uh, and in the United States, don't have the opportunity to Go purchase renewables on their own because it's an incredibly complicated uh, and sophisticated transaction that happens. There's many companies that have, and that's why you see uh, they have done a really great job of driving and accelerating renewable energy uptake across the country over the past decade. But if you look at the top companies that can purchase renewables, it is oftentimes you know the the big sophisticated companies like Meta and Amazon. And it's great, but what happens to the rest of the companies and to their supply chain, they're doing all this other activity and it's not that their carbon footprint, like you said, is the majority is in scope three, which is their value chain. And so that is very much outside of their direct control. And so what we said was basically, let's take this scope three idea that there's carbon that's coming out of something and then try to match it up to then building new solar projects that help clean up the grid. So it's similar in concept to this idea of planting a tree, but instead of planting a tree, you're basically taking that same concept and investing in infrastructure. We need all of it. This is just one of the ways that we thought there's not a lot of opportunities for companies to directly, especially of all sizes, to directly go and help build brand new solar projects and infrastructure um, in the country especially when it's at the utility scale that we're trying to build it where it's really grid integrated it's accelerating building more solar projects across the country and doing it in a way that's tackling a bigger chunk of the carbon footprint of more companies in this country
0: i would like to talk a little bit more about exactly where you're building these solar panel fields Because this is not the traditional, you know, fields upon fields upon fields of perhaps solar panels that people have seen in stock video or whatever it might be. You are very intentionally building it in certain communities. How do you decide where to build and why are you using this type of approach?
1: Yeah, so I think maybe based on my own lived experience, there is sort of an understanding of intersectionality. And this is very much at play with how we think about Clearloop. When you look at the country and see where those communities are that are most fossil fuel dependent, you start seeing that it, they're also layered. Those same communities are oftentimes communities that are under-resourced or underserved or have been underinvested in for many years. And so, whether it's the demographics that you're looking at, whether it's you know, focused on race or economic uh, you know, index and, and indicators, you start seeing that the same places where you can get the most carbon out of the grid are also the same places where you can boost uh, that dollar invested um, can go further. And so we're very intentional at looking at three factors. One, sun. Obviously, you gotta you gotta have sun in order to make uh, these these projects go. The good news is the United States has lots of it. Two, we're looking at uh, the carbon intensity of the grid. And so we've partnered with a third party called Wattime and a few others that where they measure locational marginal emissions. And that's a very fancy way to say that uh, for every megawatt hour of electricity that's generated, there's a carbon footprint associated with it. And then... Three we look at a distress community index, and really that is to say, you know where are those places where that dollar invested, where um, the infrastructure has not been invested in in many years, where climate action can actually be an economic development tool uh, and an economic driver And so when you take those three variables together, sun carbon and socioeconomic factors, you start seeing that, you know, certain parts of the country really start popping up. And so we have a, a map that basically looks at the country and the middle part of the country and the southeast where we're, where, where we're sitting today,
0: that those are the places where we really can do the most good. So you are taking not only the science that we're all trying to tackle, but you are also incorporating in socioeconomic elements. So Laura, I have to ask, where did this fire in your belly come from to change this narrative or at least shift the narrative of carbon offsets, one from just solely a financial investment to one of social justice and equity? Yeah, I think for me, it's very much about what is the impact and what is
1: that we're trying to do? What is the problem we're solving for? Um, And I think sometimes in the conversation, I didn't even see myself reflected in the conversations around climate change or climate action. There was a stereotypical look and seal to how people talk about the environment and and climate action. And so I think for us, it was very much about how the, the problem we're solving for is how do we get more investment in our part of the country when it comes to climate and how do we make it really accessible for people to feel like they're part of it, that it, it actually is a solvable problem, that all of us have something to contribute, and that the communities that have been looking for economic development could actually be the ones that could be at the forefront, not just of climate change, but really of climate action. And so the fire in the belly is really just about like, let's make this way less complicated and let's make it really interesting and sort of like, yeah, we can do this uh, for people just like me, that are not coming from a scientific background. We're just coming from a, you know, okay, we're going to roll up our sleeves and do something. And um, that is much more motivational than, you know, fancy schmancy conversations that miss the point of like, why does it matter to everyday people?
0: Ooh, that's just incredible optimism and energy. And you've never created a business before, yet you saw this problem and this wanting to everybody to have a be able to participate and you created this company. And now look at you go. Did you ever think this was going to happen? Like if you had projected in your mind's eye, like your future, does this feel something familiar? I think when anybody creates anything
1: out of nothing uh, especially sort of entrepreneurs you gotta be so blindly uh (laughs) shameless about your belief that something is going to happen and that that vision and that the people that are investing you are seeing something that you're seeing in yourself um that i you know can't allow yourself to think (laughs) otherwise um there is lots of energy around Clearloop and companies are actually signing up. And now what we are having to contend with is how do we keep up with the supply um, and making sure that we're being really thoughtful about how we scale and really approach communities and uh, where are we citing these projects. And it's not just an academic, you know, map. It's really you then talk to different community members and try to figure out how does it, how does it actually show up in in a place there's a spark and we're seeing that spark start catching and we want to keep it going and and making it so much bigger so i think the the goal is to still keep growing and envision something even bigger than where we are today
0: Ooh, that's exciting so exciting and amazing that that spark that you lit that spark you did that, Laura.
1: That's incredible. I know. It's so crazy. It's so weird. It's so weird because it's me and a bunch of other very, you know, helpful and dedicated people a lot. But it's also just yesterday we had an opportunity to go to Jackson, Tennessee, which is our first community where we built a solar project. And it, it was it became operational last uh, September. And we celebrated that. And it took so much time to get that one first one off the ground. And we finally did it. It was awesome. I think we've hit over a million pounds of carbon that it's avoided, which is really exciting. But like you can't really see it. But then we had it's a bunch of kids in a neighborhood in Jackson, Tennessee that are part of this organization that work with this woman Juanita, and Juanita was it just takes them on different field trips to see different things. And so we said, how about we do a field trip at the solar project? And it's kids from. You know, six year olds to 15, uh, 17 year olds. And it was so cool to be, have one of our engineers, you know, show how it works. Just even having the opportunity to expose different people and especially kids to a solar project. I don't know what's going to come of it. I don't know, you know, who those kids will become. But all I know is that when I was a kid, getting a chance to go to the Civil Rights Museum was meaningful for me as somebody who grew up in Memphis. And my parents had never taken me there, school that took me. And I'm hoping that, you know, things like that where you expose people to, you know, maybe things they'd never seen before or experienced before will leave a lasting memory and impact in some tiny green salt
0: wet. Okay. So, Laura, fantastic. You are clearly well on your way. I want to shift gears for a little bit and focus in on more of your personal journey of how you've kind of come here and all the different barriers you have overcome. But before we get there, I want to do a quick lightning round of questions to just kind of shake things off, take a breath, and relax. Sound good? Sounds good. Okay, great. Laura, who is someone, past or present? and from any discipline, who is inspiring you right now? Good question. And this
1: may be super cheesy, but I'm very inspired by our interns. And I think that their drive and enthusiasm and excitement to just, like, figure things out is really inspiring. And I know people are like, oh my God, Gen Z, they're so (laughs) wild. Um, But it's, it's actually really interesting to see, you know, these young people at work who are dedicating their summers or their semesters to like come figure something out with us and help us and really kind of bring their ideas and not be shy about that. I used to be the young person. I'm no longer. Um, and so it's kind of cool to see that there is a whole generation behind that is really engaged and eager to to get
0: to work. That's incredible. All that youthful energy. We wish we all could yes. always have it. Yes, Yet time exactly. marches on, <laughs> whether we like it or
1: not. Exactly. But it's it's this energy where it's not just like about them. It's a very mature energy is what it feels like to me that... It's not just like the me, me, me uh, situation that happens to all of us as young people. Um, but it's, it's really thinking about like, how is this affecting other people and what can I do about it? It's, it's really cool to see.
0: And that bodes well for, I mean, it's a, it's a reflection on you and the company that you've built and the mission that you have and the intentionality that you have behind your mission. So kudos to you because that's what you're attracting, right? Thank you. Okay, so for all the things that we're doing all all the time, all the days, building companies, you know, watching what's going on in the world, watching the science and all the things, you can't always be thinking. So what is your go-to activity to relax and not think? Uh, great question. I actually, I need to, like,
1: you know, get creative and do nothing, but it's very hard for me to just sit and do nothing. So I've gone to yoga quite a bit in just because like early morning, I'm driving to it. And actually in the drive there and back, I feel like I get more of my thinking and sort of creativity <laughs> than I do, you know, maybe doing the exorcist because it's still tough uh, to do all those uh, movements. But but I think that has allowed me and, and it's the realization that I need that space and time and making it an intentional space and time early in the morning is is really important to me. So
0: yeah, absolutely. It's like the idea of, you know, getting your best ideas in the shower. It's like you're already doing an activity, a rote activity physically, that your mind can just kind of relax yes. and, and wander. Ms. Laura, what do you wish someone had told you before you became a public figure? Well, I'm not sure if I'm a public
1: figure quite yet, but I'm out there. Um, I think taking care of, of like where's the separation between what I'm trying to accomplish and who I am. I feel like I want to throw myself at, you know, whatever problem, just go try to fix it. And sometimes it's good to just kind of be able to take a step back and not feel bad about, you know, turning off your computer and not doing work. That it's not going to, you know, the success of a company, of, of a thing is not going to, or an enterprise is not going to be based on whether or not you like push
0: yourself those
1: extra 30 minutes or that extra weekend
0: yeah, absolutely. It's it's very blurry. Where do we begin and end versus our business versus our ideas versus our public persona? So let's keep going on that thread because there's so much to unpack. Um, so you are a Latina immigrant from Colombia. You immigrated when you were 10 years old. You are now a CEO of a company on the forefront of what many consider to be one of the most pressing challenges that our world is facing. On this road to recognition and on this road to finding your voice, what has that been like? Has there been any wonderful, delightful surprises? Are there any landmines that you wish you had known before stepping into the spotlight? Talk to me about the journey.
1: Yeah, the journey has been... um... Very interesting because if you look at just my resume, I've sort of bopped around to a bunch of different places and I packed a lot in. I think what I'm learning now is to appreciate those moments in that journey a little bit more. It was all the of those lived experiences that have helped me shape my worldview and and see how I am approaching Clear Loop, how I think about whether it's our interns or the people we're hiring, how to how I would have wanted uh, somebody to treat me. So even in the like very intense, stressful moments, you know, kind of taking a step back and trying to be true and authentic to who I, you know, very early thought I this should look like, um, or in who I should be, uh, who, how I should show up as a as a CEO. And somebody building uh something from scratch that's helped me kind of think about how do you build trust, how do you build you know relationships that are long lasting how do you you know how do you show up authentically and how do you don't just buy your own hype because when things get tough, you need to make sure that the person who you thought you were continues to be true, even when things are seem a little unsteady.
0: I love that, and speaking of authenticity being true to your message, embodying your message, one of, I feel like, the most powerful tools is communication. Communication has been a through line in your career in all the different positions that you have had. And now that you are trying to communicate out on behalf of a company, but also you as a person invested in improving the environment, there's no clear-cut formula, right? Because every idea and everybody who shares them is different. So how has your craft of communication and the way that you speak and show up changed over the years to be more effective? You know, being pithy
1: and having clarity of message and what you're trying to accomplish is the hardest thing. But that is the most effective thing you can do, you know, really distilling a big idea into its parts and understanding where your audience is coming from is incredibly important. Early on when we were starting with Clear it was all about, okay, how do we make it really easy for people to get excited about, okay, to help build more solar projects because we can tackle our carbon footprint, you know, what is the pithy way to say that, but then not have to go into this like long explanation about the challenges of doing more renewables or the challenges of working with uh, companies of all sizes like So I think for me, communications has been about how do we make it really easy to explain to anybody whatever you're doing so that they're like, oh, okay, I can get behind that. So whether it's in campaigns or, uh, you know, in the corporate world or in government, for me, it's been really about like if I showed up anywhere and explained what it is that we're trying to accomplish, like are people going to be like at least curious enough to want to find out more and I think that's the hard thing because it, it's sort of meeting people where they are. And sometimes you, you know, people are coming from very different perspectives. Like we're talking about climate and we're talking about building solar projects in parts of the country where maybe climate change is not the topic of conversation. It's not the. Think that everybody's on top of everybody's mind. And I think, you know, if we were honest as a society, it's probably not top of mind for most of us. I think it's about how do you make things really relatable to people? How do you make it so that it sticks and people are more curious? Like you want to kind of dig in a little bit more and don't make it so complicated. Um, but also, how you do, how you deliver it, right? Like who is delivering that particular message is also really important. How people come across that information is also really important. And I think that that's what we're seeing right now is like, how do you build trust? Who's the messenger and who's the best, most effective person or tool delivering that message?
0: And sometimes, is it not you?
1: And sometimes it's not me. I've learned that sometimes it's not me. I don't have to be out front. And I think it's important as anybody who started something, it's been important to say, you know, clear loop is not just the Laura show, Clear Loop is a, a much bigger enterprise and idea and vision that has lots of other people behind it. Our parent company has been incredibly, uh, Silicon Ranch has been incredibly instrumental in ensuring that Clearloop, this idea, this vision really came to life. And so I think it's more about how do you make it so that people are buying into the idea and not just buying into you as an individual, because it's not about you, the individual. It's not, you know, a personality contest uh, or a a popularity contest. It's really about how do you drive an idea in its many different forms and deliver it appropriately to all the various audiences, whether it's consumers or corporates or communities. And um, that messenger may look different, and it's
0: not always me helping people feel like they are part of something bigger than themselves, that it's not just an exchange of commerce or money, but it's also in support of a mission bigger than them. Have you found that there are any levers that have had the greatest impact in helping your ideas scale deep? Everybody is comfortable in different mediums, whether that's video or photo or writing or whatever it might be. Where, based off of who you are and how you show up in the world what levers have been most effective for you I think
1: any opportunity I have to talk about clearloop uh when and where it's mostly kind of video led or talking to people in person it is actually I think the most much more effective than necessarily writing or you know putting out a graphic so I think that the storytelling of why and how and how cool, it is much more
0: impactful. Yeah, going beyond the facts and the figures and into the story. Woo, good stuff. Good stuff, Laura. Okay, last question, and it's your turn, in in case there's anything that I have not covered or anything else that you want to add. There's a key theme throughout this podcast series. Yes, we're talking about communication levers, tools and tactics, and figuring out ways That we can show up best in the world. But there's also something greater, which is trying to serve a purpose greater than ourselves. If you're willing and given your expertise in life experience, how would you answer this question? Why is it so difficult for human beings to see each other as equals? Man, that's a great question.
1: Mary Knox, my goodness. I think there is quite a bit of skepticism that the person that is showing up in front of me sometimes or in my screen is not who I assume them to be. And I think I I have this saying that people are people. And I think it's just about, like, how do you, like, kind of unmask instead of dig in a little bit more um, and try to see that the other person is just as much of a person as you, uh, that they may have different things that have informed how their opinion came out uh, about that is different from you. Chiseling away at that is all based on trust. I think it's the hard work that we have to do now that has been a lot harder now because we all have our digital shields up and have our little corners of the world that we all hang out with. Being conditioned to hear exactly what we think and how we should be thinking and how we should be opining on things. If I'm you know, I have a certain political party, then I must think this way. And it must mean that I experience life this way, as opposed to thinking about like, you know, there are lots of issues and things in this world. And there are definitely things that we can all agree on, even if it's just the, uh, you know, taste of certain foods or those bad smells that we don't like, or, you know, just kind of like very basic things that we, that, that we can all kind of, Start putting down the shields, but it's very easy to have these very like fortified like we we fortified the shields with all of our different digital tools and ways that we can present ourselves to the world and how we're listening to ideas and who we're listening to and and what we're supposed to think. The people conversation the way that we've approached we've tried to approach clear loop is trying to figure out how do we have a conversation that is really about the stuff that is meaningful to the people that we're talking to. And I think when we're talking to different communities, you know, the things that are more important to them is just making sure that people, you know, continue to live and work and enjoy their little piece of the world. Uh, and that, you know, it's a thriving place where people want to grow up. Um, and when we're talking to corporates is that, you know, that they've made these very fancy big commitments and that there's a way for them to do it and that there's a way for them to actually reach that goal and that there's something in common between those two what feel like you know different worlds these corporate folks and uh different communities and how we can bring them together and say like there's actually a connection and there's a way for for it to be mutually beneficial uh without just being a transaction
0: absolutely beautiful laura here is to all of us trying to put down that digital shield and that fortified shield in hopes of connecting as human beings with one another. Because great things can come from that. Absolutely. Laura, it has been an absolute joy to speak with you. Is there anything that you would like to add or anything else you would like to say that I have not asked? Yeah,
1: well, I appreciate this conversation. I always like to be able to have these things where we get to pause and actually talk about, you know, what's happened, what's transpired, because in the day-to-day, you know, kind of motion of of life, you don't really get to think about like, oh, yes, we did do that. And oh, that has been uh, a long time coming. The one thing that for me has been true that I want to make sure that people listening or where to give their their little piece to the world is that this was not designed, uh, that I did not kind of have this like trajectory that like clearly led me this way, and that there's still many things for me to learn. Like I said, this is very early. And so I think we all have a lot to contribute, particularly around these big, massive issues facing our world, like climate change. And so Whatever that lived experience is that you have, that perspective is actually incredibly helpful. And if we had had all the right people in the room already, we would have figured this out and solved it. But we clearly have not had all the right people in the room. There's quite a bit of excitement that people should have about what their contribution can be and how they may be able, whether it's, you know, climate related or otherwise, that we all have something to contribute.
0: Yes, everybody has a perspective and a voice that needs to be heard. I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to yours, Laura. Thank you again so much for this time, for your message, for all the work that you are doing and all the intention that you put behind everything that you're doing.
1: Thank you so much, Mary Knox. I'm so happy that you've provided the space and I hope, uh, you know, I hope we get to catch up again in a year from now and maybe it will be different.
0: Oh yeah, we're going to just keep breaking all those ceilings, breaking all those yes. doors open. It's going to be amazing. Awesome. All right, you heard her. Your voice, your ideas, and your lived experience could be the key to solving intractable problems. So speak up, get into more rooms, and take a seat at the table. And when you step into conversation, as Laura said, speak in clear, easy-to-understand words that pique curiosity. Help people see how they can be part of the solution. Yes, you'll need to adjust your message depending on who you're talking to, but you already have everything you need to contribute in a meaningful way. Like I always say, all you got to do is show up as a human being. Simple, but oh, not so easy. But we've got this, right? Thanks for listening. Speaking Human First is a production of Thought Leader Media, a visual communications agency helping socially impact-driven leaders better connect with their audience It's produced by the amazing team at Yellow House Media and is recorded on the ancestral lands of the Nipmuc Nation. Many Indigenous peoples continue to thrive in this place, alive and strong.